Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint, the podcast for world-class financial advisors. I'm Brad Johnson, VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, and it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. For those of you wondering why the big gap between shows, I recently returned from a two-week trip to Italy with my family, and I promised myself that I'd unplug, which I very much did. Lots of pasta, some Brunello, more pasta, some Chianti, some Aperol spritzes. And no, I didn't just drink the whole time. But I think we did manage to fit in a gelato just about every single day. And I now know why all of my friends and clients named Italy as one of their favorite places in the world. Besides the amazing food and wine, the landscape and views were incredible. And everyone really does treat you like family over there. So for those of you who have it on your list of places to see, make sure you bump it up a few spots for me. Okay. On to today's conversation. I'm thrilled to speak with Gina Rainey. As the leader of AE Coach at Advisors Excel, Gina specializes in total practice management, where she set out to help advisors bridge the gap between the process-driven brains of their employees and the quick-start entrepreneurial mentality many independent advisors operate by. Over the last decade, she's helped offices struggling with high turnover and lack of structure become high-performing organizations. She's empowered advisors to learn how to better utilize their time and revolutionize their practice, which has led them to grow like few others in this industry. Gina's fingerprints are literally all over Advisors Excel's top-performing practices, and there's a reason for that. Today, she makes a long-overdue appearance on the podcast to talk about how she helps implement organizational change that leads to massive returns. Here are just a few highlights of what we get into. First, Gina explains her philosophy when working with a brand new office. She focuses on two primary principles. One, how an advisor spends their time is what ultimately determines their success. But two, the team is what determines their freedom. Next, she takes us through a framework of how she helped an advisory firm address their operations issues and skyrocket from capturing $8 million in new assets per year to over $200 million just five years later. From there, Gina shares stories of key hires that took advisor practices to levels they didn't think were possible and the signs that indicate when you're ready to hire, even if it may seem like a risky move. We then talk about why conditioning employees to be reactive hurts so many businesses and how you can empower your team by making sure your support staff is one step ahead of you. Then Gina shares the rules to her favorite game, Let's Pretend to Be Your Client for the Day and what this game can tell you about how your prospects and clients experience your firm and why viewing your practice through their eyes can make all the difference. Next, we dive into what Gina believes needs to happen in weekly team meetings, as well as when to hold them and why advisors are often not the best to lead them. Finally, Gina shares her favorite success story from her years of coaching and the life-changing transformation advisors go through when they focus on what really matters. Okay, before we get to the show, this may be the biggest give yet for you Blueprint listeners. Gina is sharing her AE Coach video series, which consists of 19 videos. Yes, I said 19. They cover topics like her weekly team meeting framework, how to be your client for the day, how to structure a 12-month marketing plan, the ideal weekly calendar for an advisor, the Blueprint for a clearly defined sales process, and a ton more. 
I've seen online courses that were half as good as this selling for a few thousand dollars. So make sure to take advantage of Gina's gift and go access it for free at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 51. That's 5-1. As always, show notes that include links to all the resources, books mentioned, people discussed are available there as well. And one last thing before we get to the show, I have a very special surprise coming up for all of you on the next episode. Since starting this podcast, I've literally been bombarded with emails, phone calls, tweets, Facebook messages with questions on how to start a podcast as a financial advisor. And the good news is I've been working on a behind-the-scenes project for all of you that have asked and its official rollout will be via the next episode. So if you are a financial advisor curious about podcasting, be sure to tune in as not only will we cover a ton on the next show, but there will be a special offer for up to 20 of you to gain early access to what we roll out. And that's all I'm going to share for now. You'll have to tune in to see what I've been up to next. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Gina Rainey. Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast. I have special guest Gina Rainey here with us today. Welcome to the show, Gina. Thank you, Mr. Brad. This has been long, long overdue. I mean, we go back a decade plus on this business when yeah. I like to think we still both look very young. So yeah, I haven't aged a bit. I think you're actually going backwards. Got a little bit of Benjamin Button going on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so so technically, we were talking before we went live here, Gina, and you like to describe what you do as total practice management. So yeah. for those advisors tuning in here, can you explain what that means and what you've really been up to the last decade or so with all of the offices that you've consulted? Sure. So in my early 20s, I worked for an independent financial advisor. And it, probably about a year into it, I mean, we had probably hired and fired, I think, 10 people within a 12-month period. But he was really, really good at selling and building relationships, but he was not good at anything else in the business. So I knew within that first year of working for him, I was going to create a company that bridged the gap between the process-driven brain of the employees and the entrepreneur brain of the advisor. So our goal is, and the whole coaching was developed so that we get a proactive team that's actually ahead of the advisor telling the advisor what to do. So the advisor can focus on selling and marketing because honestly, if the advisor is good at managing, they're probably not that good of an advisor is what we have found. So if we can get the right butts in the right seats, build the trust with the advisor, give the tools the team needs because there's no training in this industry at all for anybody, then we can really start to make some big progress within the business. Which one of the things that's fun is, and one of the things that Advisor Excel is kind of a secret sauce with us is we attract very high caliber advisors, like you said, who are great in front of people, which yep. relationship building, that's what this business is all about. But oftentimes when you, which you have seen a lot of these offices firsthand over the years, when you go in, a lot of the management and systems leave a lot to be desired. So it's it's been very cool when we go out to these events um, where we get our top advisors on the stages. And yeah. there's like this fan club. You've got like a little groupie, uh, a following where everybody's like just... Gina's amazing. She did this for my business. And we were just talking beforehand. I think there's no better example of that than one of our top offices on the East Coast out of Plymouth. You literally... the first, I think the first meeting... And you fill in the color here because this is is sometimes with the changes that are needed in offices. There were four partners. At the time you left, there were three partners, I think, after the first meeting. Yes. 
Yes. And what did the rest of the staffing look like? Do you remember? It's been a while. Oh, yeah. I will never forget these, this office and these guys. So they had, their team looked like they had a guy who was working out of a basement somewhere who was doing the appointment setting and the data tracking. But they really had no data to do the data tracking to know if he was doing his job. We had another lady on the team who was really hard to communicate with. There was a big barrier there. And then there was the girl who cried all the time on the team. And so they didn't have really anybody that they needed. But, you know, you dig into this with these offices. The girl who was crying all the time was a new business processor. She was crying all the time because there were no processes. She had no training. And then all four partners would go to her after every single meeting to tell her what needed to be done for the next appointment. So normally, you know, there's always shared responsibility when things aren't working in the office. So that's the way their team looked. But then their office was also a little bit of a disaster too. Day two was me and blue jeans in their conference room, gutting it and walking things to the dumpster with the, cause they were young guys. So it was just kind of like a mishmash of things. They had like a dusty curtain that was covering one of the cubes. And then the one guy goes, my dad's an architect and we know an interior designer and their office was beautiful because it was right on the coast. So you could actually see the ocean, but you couldn't see it because there was all this crap between the entry and getting back to that conference room. So yeah, the team was a mess. The office was a mess. The partnership was a mess, but you know, they were really coachable. They were really young. They weren't set in their ways at all. Their sales process, their deliverable, they had this great binder and it was really well designed, had a nice look and feel. And I remember looking at the one partner and I said, great, what goes in here? And he goes, I don't know. We just had this really cool binder in the office. And so we had to really work because every partner was doing their own sales process. Yeah. Well, so, so then let's, from tracking. Yeah. So let's, let's give a little color commentary here because when I first met these guys and they're going to laugh when they hear this interview, by the way, but um, <laughs> they were, I mean, they tell you they were really good guys doing the very best for their clients. They came from a captive yes. organization. Yep. We had great, you know, it was kind of like the old school door to door training. They were glorified salespeople. That's what they were. They were kind of making house calls, selling out of the trunk of their car, grabbing the brochure yep. on the way to the front door. Yep. We'll fast forward and we can maybe share a little bit of their journey and some key pieces. And I think that'll kind of unpack this conversation. Fast forward. So that was 2012. Four partners, of which there were three when she left. Yep. Uh, four yep. partners, I think, had brought in about 8 million of new assets. They were primarily yep. insurance focused. Fast forward to this year, they're pacing for 200 million of new assets. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of that was some key hires. I think their team's north yes. of 20 people now that you helped yep. them put into place. So do you want to share maybe, because I think as I was trying, there, there's so much knowledge that I could pull out of you in this conversation. That's the challenge. This could be a four-hour podcast. I don't want to do that to you on a Friday. No. Uh, <laughs> you've got probably other things going on. But Maybe if we could paint a picture of what is the journey you often see with offices that are, are great people, maybe have some a little bit of good marketing going, but what is like that next step to get them to more of a systematized office that then, you know, that slowly transitions to those those individuals as a CEO versus salespeople? Yeah, the one thing I always tell every office when I start working with them is there's two key factors. And the first one is how the advisor spends their time. The second one is the team. So how the advisor spends their time determines their success, but their team determines their freedom. So I literally just this week had a phone call with an advisor 
And we went around and around. And when I'm coaching, I'm always like, listen, it's your business. So it's your decision. Ultimately, you do what you think is best. But this advisor was trying to tell me that it was a good use of his time to do the annuity reallocation and quarterly checking calls with all 250 of his clients. And that led to, well, how many referrals are you getting per year? And he said, well, about 10. And I said, okay, just because your calendar is full and you're busy doesn't mean you're using it to the best of your ability. And then he went on to tell me, well, I don't really have any A-plus or A clients. They're almost all C clients. So my point to him was, well, why are you spending your time trying to duplicate non-ideal clients? But he said, nope, nope, nope. This is, this is, it's really important to me. So at that point, you say, okay, because sometimes in the coaching, you just have to say, okay, it's your business. But then normally the advisors will come around once you plant those seeds. So really getting the advisor hyper-focused on how they're spending their time. You know, it should not be in emails or watching webinars <laughs> on revenue days. It's good for Mondays and Fridays, not so good on revenue days. They should really be working on their case prep when they're not in appointments or calling A-plus clients or working on marketing. So time is a big one for the advisor. And then the second part to that is their team. Their team is so key. And that was a big one for SHP. You know, I went in there and we got a lot of stuff done, but those guys realized very quickly that they were not going to be able to manage that long term. So they did two key hires, one for marketing and one for operations. And I hear nothing but rave reviews about those two people in that office. And from all the other advisors who go out there and visit them, they literally change that organization and they change the lives of the advisors. Yeah. So let's let's hit on... There's a couple things you hit there that I want to dig in on. Let's rewind a little bit because here's what's interesting. You've, over the last decade or so, you've consulted a lot of offices and you've had some stories like what we just shared where an office like literally unrecognizable today yeah. doing 200 million of new assets to when you first worked with them on the front end doing yeah. 8 million. You've got these other offices that you work with that they were... Maybe they were the $8 million guys and they're still the $8 million guys today. Hence the second conversation you kind of shared there of the use of their time. What are the key factors when you sit down with an office the first time where you're like, they get it, they're going to revolutionize their business versus the ones who don't? Honestly, the ones who are not going to revolutionize their business don't work with me long-term. They pretty much fall out because I'm interested in results. Now, what I learned very early on from a consulting and coaching perspective, I used to go into the office or get on the phone and say, okay, we're going to implement all 12 of these modules. Come hell or high water, we're doing these 12 things. But in short order, I realized my definition of success is not the advisor's definition of success. So there are plenty of offices my offices don't normally say, you know, 8 million to 8 million. They just don't. But if their definition of success is to go from 8 million to 12 million, which is a big deal to some offices, then I'll get them to that $12 million mark. But the reality of it is, if they don't want to work, they're not going to work with me because there is accountability because the implementation and the accountability is what changes the office. There's a whole lot of shelf help out there. You know, and the advisors are the easiest people to sell. They go to these trainings, they come back, they're all jazzed up, they disrupt the team, they disrupt the workflow. You know, we had one office who went to come, uh, went to Chris Hobart's journey. They came home from Chris Hobart's journey and they said, we are changing the name of our company, we are moving offices, we're changing broker dealers and we're changing database. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> so we kind of have the extremes, those who, are set in their ways or those that want to go, you know, all the way. And that's a challenge for people who come to Advisors Excel too, is 
So you want to do everything all at once and you can't eat the elephant in one bite. So it's piece by piece and determining those such benchmarks for success and for growth. What are the mindsets of those that you see have tremendous growth? I mean, to me, I, I've seen, I'm, I'm interested in your viewpoint. I see my viewpoint when I, I talk with someone the first time, I'm like, oh, they're going to be a superstar. I just, I, I have those conversations. I'm like, wow, they're going to grow yep. like crazy. What are, or what are some characteristics or mindsets you see of those that you're like, they're going to go from 20 to 40 to 60 million of, of new assets or from 500,000 of revenue to a million of revenue or, or whatever those goals may be? The first one is that they're humble, is that they don't come in with this big ego and throwing it around and saying, well, I'm, there is, I mean, it's very rare I find somebody at Advisors Excel who has that ego, which is what I think makes Advisors Excel so, so, so special, is that everybody always knows that they can do better. Everybody realizes that. And everybody, even Joel Johnson is that I know I can do better. I know that I can learn more. So I think being humble is the first one. And the second one is that they're coachable. Because the reality of it is, is if you, if what you're doing is working for you, then I don't need to work with you. I mean, some people I've worked with and they'll call and they just want me to tell them, yeah, you're doing everything right. You're, you're still on the right track. But the people who aren't coachable, then there's no point to coach them. <laughs> Very true. Right. I think that is so interesting, humble, because you're yeah. spot on. Um, and yeah. a lot of times what we see when offices join Advisors Excel, it's a humbling experience in the first place because yeah. they were number one yeah. revenue guy at their old shop yeah. or, or number one producer yeah. at their old shop. And all of a sudden, like, oh, I'm like number yeah. 101 now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the and ones, that's hard. Yeah. But, I mean, the ones, but, but the ones I see that, that succeed yeah. here are the ones where they're like, oh my gosh, I was... I thought I was playing in the majors, but hindsight, yeah. I was I was playing maybe double or triple A ball, and now I'm in the majors, and now this actually drives and motivates me because I see what I can yeah. do. Yep. And it, yeah. it's cool how how that mindset can shift. Yeah, we had the uh, the one group that I coached, and they were they're a very unique group because they're very strict with their time and how they spend their time. They were extremely humble, extremely coachable. They came over to us. Their old IMO had the courage to call them six months later and say, oh, we thought you were going to grow and it doesn't look like you've grown that much since you moved to Advisors Excel. And they busted out this list that said, here's everything that we've implemented, everything that we're working on, and what we still have to accomplish. And when all these things are done, we'll see uh, at the bottom, meaning they're going to leave those people behind. And they're in our top three offices now. That's cool. So, and that's the other thing too, is that, you know, you, sometimes when people come to advisors Excel, it's because every advisor wants instant gratification. Well, I want to do this like a seminar and get this result. The reality of it is when we're kind of excavating a business is that it takes, you know, six months sometimes just of staying stable to kind of get everything unearthed, especially if we have issues with team or cultural issues that we have to dive into. There sometimes can even be a little bit of a dip, but then you are prepared for scalability and growth. Yeah. And that's scary too. Well, and I mean, the truth is a lot of very high performing offices, when you really dive in, they've got a lot of work to do on the team side, on the culture side. You were saying earlier before we went live, and maybe even mentioned a bit of this, here's what advisors are really good at. Like good advisors are really good yeah. at. Here's what they're not very good at. Can you yeah. can you kind of just share some of that insight? So the, I tell every office that I work with, listen, the easiest way to get your arms around the business is to have your advisor sitting in front of people all day, every day. 
because they're or speaking in front of people. So either sitting in front of people or speaking to people because a board advisor will become very disruptive in the business. Hey, where are we at in that pending case? Hey, what's going on with the marketing? Hey, let's have this impromptu meeting. And so it erodes everything else in the business. So, and we say that we're all a little ADD because I think we all have to be a little ADD. So the joke is squirrel and they go down this path and then they kind of squirrel and then they go down this path. So we keep them in appointments. It keeps them out of trouble because the reality of it is, is it's a very high failure rate to become an independent advisor. And then it's extremely high failure rate to be a successful small business owner, especially after that five year mark. And the people that we're working with have overcome both of those objectives in their life. So they're very good at what they're very good at. So let's keep them there and let's build everything else around them to support enforcing that and keeping them out of the way in the business. Okay. So let's go to team. And you mentioned before our guys on the East Coast that have scaled from eight to 200 million and and they would 100% agree. Two very key hires. What's interesting, the backstory of that was they were only trying to hire one person and two superstars interviewed Yep. And they made the decision, which was not an easy one at the time, because both of these were high salary jobs, to hire both of them. And that's one of the things... And, and I heard another one of our offices say, and this is actually our number one office now, he said he transitioned to based on the growth of their firm, rather than this like sprint, slow down, sprint, slow down of hiring, post the position, they're always yep. hiring. He's like, yep. we're, we're a high yep. growth firm. When we find superstars out there, we're going to hire potentially before we need them because everybody else yeah. hires six months or 12 months after they need them. So just maybe high level, maybe even if you've got a story or two on key acquisitions that you've seen take advisors' offices to the next frontier that they didn't even think was possible. Yeah, I think that a lot of advisors, and it's hard to, especially if there's not a lot of recurring revenue in the business to bring on employees because they are super expensive. And then they have to manage more people. But I, I think that you need to hire people who show signs of leadership because we don't typically recommend middle management. We don't recommend the one person in between the advisor and the team. We recommend a leadership team that's helping drive the various departments within the organization. So these offices grow very quickly. And so you may think, ah, I don't need a leadership team right now. The reality of it is, is that you're going to, because you don't want to manage. We don't want one person managing. So we need a team of people who can work cohesively together and actually make decisions. So I think that you sometimes want to overhire from a skill set if you know you're on the verge of that next breakthrough, because you will grow into that person. And I tell most of my offices too, listen, if you're overstaffed, and I know the office is well enough to make this determination. But if you're slightly overstaffed, I don't ever worry about that because you're going to grow right into that person. Because like you were saying, is they wait until the wagon wheels have busted off and the wagon has come to a screeching halt going down the hill, where if we get it when the wheels are just shaking a little bit, then we have that person on board. Because I tell people, it's two months to hire somebody. And then you have about a six-month window to really get them grooved in and settled to the point that we trust them and the team trusts them and we can really start using them. So that's a long time frame when you look at it. Yeah. And everybody, I think, has heard the term slow to hire, quick to fire. In yeah. our industry, it's typically the exact opposite. You know, where, oh, they, yes. where they hire very quickly because they're six months late. And then what happens yeah. is going back to... I see this, this framework of um, or this philosophy 
they see staffing as an expense. And so they're like, what's the least that I can spend yes. to fill this position mm-hmm. once again, six months or 12 months late because I'm hurrying now yeah. instead yeah. of an investment in the team to where, Hey, superstars, a plus players, guess what? They already have a job and they're already on another team and they're probably happy. And so if yeah. you're going to headhunt them, you've got to pay above grade 10%, 15% yeah. Yeah. to get the superstars. So Maybe share and don't give out any identities here because this <laughs> share like maybe kind of a office that's done this very poorly where they kind of um they don't spend enough on their staff and what that's led to versus the ones that have paid above market value, hired superstars, and what's that done? If you've got maybe an example or two of that. Yeah, I mean the reality of it is is that good people are never out of work. And like you said, they're not out there, they're happy, they're probably being taken care of. You know, and I think three, four years ago, they could hire cheap because people were looking for work. And last year and this year, the marketplace has really shifted. And now it's an employee marketplace, not an employer marketplace. So you have to be willing to pay. You know, we say, listen, if you're looking for someone in a leadership role, some of those people are going to require sixty or 75000 depending on where you're at in the country. That's just the going rate. So some stories for you. And I've told this one a hundred times, so you have probably heard it, but Literally, I had an advisor who hired a girl from the car wash because she had a nice smile. And she comes into work and does not know how to turn on a computer, doesn't know how to use Microsoft Word, and then called me and he's really frustrated with her because she doesn't have the skill set. Now, I say, listen, we can't teach attitude, we can teach the skill, but they have to have some basic functionality before we can even, you know, teach them additional skills on top of it. You know, the other hire is the spouse. That's always a really popular hire because, you know, no one says, hey, when I grow up, I'm going to be a financial advisor. Almost everyone has fallen into this industry, including you and I. It just kind of happens. We fell into this. So they hire the girl from the car wash or they hire their spouse or they hire their kids. And I'm not saying that it can't work because some people get upset when I bring this up about having a spouse in the business, but it's hard and it takes a lot of work and a lot of discipline to make that relationship because otherwise, you know, we, I had a young couple and they were working together and they had a young family at home. And I looked at them and I said, so what you guys are telling me is that your pillow talk at home is about the business. And they both started to laugh because it just consumes the business. So I think the rule has to be if we're working together in the business, when our feet hit the driveway, we're done talking about business. The reality of it is, is most of us can't do that. Yeah. So I think hiring the, you know, hiring the spouse is always challenging. It can work, but it is challenging. But, you know, the office we were talking about earlier where they did hire those two key people or the other offices that always have a posting open, because the reality of it is it's very hard to find rock stars. So when you do find them, hire them, especially if you're a growth office. If you're a lifestyle office, then probably not the best piece of advice, but most everybody that we're working with is a growth office. And even if you're a lifestyle office, it could be you want the freedom of time. And so that person can give you that freedom of time. Yeah, I heard it. I think it was Darren Hardy in a mastermind. I think he was actually quoting Steve Jobs, if I remember right. But Mm -hmm. basically, his comment is A players are always free. And if you look at them as an investment in your business, yes, you have to pay them well. But the work they do is like five times, 10 times the output of like an average employee. Right. So, so his philosophy was they're always free because they just exponentially increase the output of your firm. I mean, have you found that to be true? Yeah. Because what advisors typically don't realize is I tell the advisor, listen, you only have so much mental real estate in your head. 
And as you have employee issues or we have issues with clients that our employees can't resolve, all these little stakes and flags start to end up on that real estate. And before you know it, we have this much space dedicated to actually selling and closing business and helping people. So when you hire that person, you get so much more bandwidth and freedom within your business that that's almost invaluable to most offices. They just don't realize that mental real estate is is pretty pricey. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's throw this one out because I don't know how many times I've heard this over the last decade on that topic. So what do you tell the advisor that says, only I can do the paperwork because only I'm the one that will fill it out properly and then I won't have to go back to the client and that's such a big issue. And so I only trust me to do that. Okay. Well, I would. what I would do is mathematically figure out what that advisor is worth per hour, which at a minimum is typically around $1,000 an hour is what that advisor is worth. So if you want to pay... an hour to have someone do paperwork for you. Again, your choice, your business, you absolutely can do that. But there are resources and we have, I mean, even at Advisors Excel, I can order a report that shows me, hey, what's wrong with the application? Is it, is it sloppiness from the team? Are we transposing social security numbers? Or is it the advisor and they're not doing suitability the right way or we're using paper applications and the forms are outdated? Because data is king. So if we can figure out where the issues are, then we can solve the issues. But no, I mean, honestly, (laughs) you know me, so this won't shock you. It might shock some of the people watching this. Listen, if you want to do your own paperwork, then go do your own paperwork. And I'll talk to you on the flip side somewhere down the road. If that makes enjoy to your life, then go for it, right? (laughs) Right, because advisors typically hate paperwork. But it's a control thing. But typically it's a control thing because they're paying their office staff, $9 an hour. They gave them no training. They didn't come with any sort of skill set. They've given them no resources. And so that's the bigger issue is the trust isn't established. They don't relinquish that and let it go. Hey, Blueprint listeners. I have a special opportunity for you this week. I wouldn't interrupt the middle of an interview otherwise. We recently hosted an event at AE headquarters that is the first of its kind. It's focused on how you as a financial advisor can make the leap from traditional old school marketing to the new digital frontier. Long story short, we had a number of applications that came in after our latest event had filled up. So we decided to open up one additional date in September for those who missed out. Those dates are September 16th through 18th. Here's who's speaking and what will be covered. First, we'll have Brad Parscale, the actual Facebook marketing expert who helped run Trump's Facebook marketing campaign during the election. I might add, this isn't a political conversation where he'll be discussing right or left. It will be a deep dive tactical overview of the strategies that drove results using social media. Next, we'll have the digital marketing firm that is consistently filling our clients' events with 40 plus prospects per evening. Incredibly, they've only missed maxing out that number four times in over 400 campaigns the last three years. All attendees are being invited directly from Facebook ads with an online registration process to an educational event with no dinner being served. They'll show you exactly how they're doing it, including something called a lookalike audience, which is a tool you can utilize on Facebook to clone your top clients. More on that at the event. Then, of course, once you get a qualified attendee to show up, it becomes about the automated follow-up process you have in place to get them to your office. We'll have an Infusionsoft expert in to share exact campaigns working today in financial services. If you aren't familiar with Infusionsoft, you should be as it's changing the game for our clients. 
will have two of our top performing offices, which gathered $233 million and $97 million organically in 2017, sharing their real-world marketing ROIs, how they consistently keep the calendar full, and the key to scaling your firm so you're no longer a salesperson or asset manager, but rather a CEO. Lastly, nine-time New York Times bestselling author himself, David Bach, will be joining us and walking through the framework to make sure your practice has a trainable process, which makes you scalable and in the end, saleable. Who doesn't want that, right? If you'd like to see if you qualify to attend, take 5 minutes to fill out a short application online at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash the catalyst. That's T-H-E-C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T. For those that qualify, we'll fully cover your cost to attend, including flight, hotel, and attendance to the event. So if you'd like to make sure your practice is ahead of the curve as the world transitions from newspapers and direct mail to digital and Facebook, Go fill out the application to save your spot. Well, it's and we'll maybe go down this path a little later on. But if you look at why many of the programs and tools exist inside of Advisors Excel that do today, I mean, we didn't have you and you know basically right. your company, Gina Rainey and Associates, who's now AE coach. So everything that yep. we're talking about, kind of the total practice management stuff, we didn't have that in the early days. Why do we have it today? Because we found offices became a victim of their own success. They were great salespeople, but when it came to running and structuring and scaling a business, they weren't very good. And so we brought in people like yourself. So going back to the training side, the only good trainers we found in this business are like these captive groups, you know? So if you have to now start to pick off like Ameriprise or Ed Jones employees or things like that. So that's why you help develop elite team training today. So we actually have a full service two-day boot camp that our offices send people out to. I mean, I think we've got one coming up later this month. Yeah. Because even if an advisor was good at training staff, not the best use of their time from an hourly Correct. wage standpoint, right? Yeah. Yep. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, I originally it was originally called Operational Excellence when we first built it. One of the big things, my favorite part of doing that training is, you know, I get the group of people together. So we've had anywhere from 45 people to 115 people in these groups. And the first opening session that we do is called the trouble with producers. And they all look around the room and they all realize, oh, I'm not the only one who works with an advisor with these characteristics because they all think that their advisor or producer is this AWOL personality that doesn't really exist. But the reality is they're all cut from the same cloth. So just to give them a network on top of the training, you know, our advisors come to the journey and they come to World Series of Sales and they have friends and people they can call. Your team doesn't have that network. So they come in, they, and I have people who have been in contact for eight years. They met at the training, stayed in contact. You know, hey, do you have a first appointment letter that's working? Hey, our sick ratio isn't where it should be. What are you guys seeing? So just having that network built is really invaluable from that. But the other part of the training is too, is corporate America has taught our team members and our employees that they should be completely reactive. So I will do what is asked of me when I am told to do it. And that's kind of the corporate American mentality. In this business, we need the team to get one step ahead of the advisor. So we really empower them. Like, listen, the advisor doesn't want to tell you what to do. The vast majority want you to tell them what to do so that they don't have to think about it. So there are some tips and tricks that we go into as well with them. One of them is, If you're going to your advisor with a problem, so don't go to your advisor and say, hey, my computer doesn't work because your advisor doesn't really work on a computer all day long. It's not that big of a deal. So, hey, my computer doesn't work. Here's the three options we have. The third one being it's 700 bucks. I can order a brand new computer 
it'll be here on Tuesday. Can I do that? And so it's really empowering the team on top of all of the processes and the practice management stuff that we go into. But sometimes it's this little nitty gritty stuff that gets missed with the psychology side of this business. That's really important. Well, I, I mean, I think it's not a negative to advisors that they're type A personalities, you know, on cool, no. like everybody's a quick start, right? Yep. Seven, eight, nine or higher. It's just, yep. here's the skill set I'm really good at. And then yep. coaching the team, hey, here's the skill set you're dealing with. So no, right. this is not in their wheelhouse. And if we can take that stuff off of their place so they can do more of the stuff they're amazing at, which is relationship building and speaking in front of people and all the things that actually grow and drive yeah. a business. Um, and so that's what I love is it, it's it's more of a framework of here's how to operate in these type of environments to grow a team successfully. Quick aside that is funny. Um, so Erica Pauly, who was just on a previous episode, yeah. she was one and came to one of the early, um, what used to be called operational excellence, now the elite team training. So she was a student that came through and now she's a superstar coaching other offices yeah. out there. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, it's always fun to see the evolution of when they, and that's part of the reason why I am so addicted to this industry is because you can see and touch and feel the growth and success, both of the advisors and their team members. And it's almost intoxicating when you just get to see someone physically grow up right in front of your eyes. Yeah. So this is the best analogy. It might be a horrible one, but you know how like ESPN will pop up like, here's Bill Snyder and he's this famous coach. And then here's his coaching tree of all the people he helped develop. You're yeah. starting to do that in our industry. That's kind of fun. That Yes, that it is. It's very fun. That's rewarding. Okay, so let's let's dive in here. Like I said, we've got too much to cover and not enough time. I love your concept of a little game you play as you visit offices called "Let's pretend to be the client for the day." Oh, so yeah. Can you yeah. can you dive into what that <laughs> means and maybe some fun stories that go along with that? Oh, so it was funny. On that note, I actually had an advisor call my team the other day, and he said, and he's new to us, and he said, "This is a really, really dumb question, and I know it's a really dumb question." And Kari goes, "Listen, we've heard them all before. What is it?" He goes, "I just need to make sure that I'm not supposed to buy a couch for my lobby. I'm supposed to buy chairs with arms. Is that right?" <laughs> because it came from that conversation in that article. So I went to go see an advisor out west. And we have to remember the vast majority of our offices are working with retirees. And this advisor had been in business for several years. So the clients obviously were aging. So I sit down in the lobby and it is this huge, black, squishy leather couch. And even me to get up and like try to get out of that couch took a lot of effort. It makes people uncomfortable that they have to kind of fight with the furniture to get out of it. So that was one of the offices where I'm like, yeah, we probably need to work on that part of it so that it's easy for the people to get in and out. So some of the things with, and actually we had another office and I had this at two offices where the conference room butts up to the waiting area and most offices don't have soundproof walls. And the one office actually had a prospect who was waiting, get up and walk out because he could hear the conversation in the conference room. Because this generation that we're working with is very much into confidentiality and privacy, and most of them don't even talk to their friends about their finances. So the other office, they actually had light jazz that was playing in the lobby, and then they had like a water fountain, but they said, be careful with the water fountain because it makes people have to pee. <laughs> so light jazz may be a better option <laughs> than the water fountain. So just keep that in mind that we're... I always say, listen, you need to sit where your clients sit and actually look around. So I went to go see an advisor. This is this advisor is the best advisor from a client experience perspective. Like 
he is the master of client experience. He asked me to come work with his team a couple of years ago to do year-end planning. So I said, absolutely. And I knew from many, many years before when I first worked with that office that I had some of the original material that they had used. So I climbed up in the attic and I found this box and I found his old client file <laughs> and I brought it down. And, and again, remember, this advisor is the best when it comes to client experience. So a couple things. When I went to that office, they knew that their office was really challenged from where it was located. So it was literally in an industrial park, really low ceilings. They did their best. They had like this crazy mural painted on the back wall that looked like it was from 1982. So I sat in their lobby and there were these old, you know, like the pockets you used to hang on the wall to put notes in or like at the doctor's office where they put the files in. Those had just been planted there, I literally think, since 1980. And they just had always been there. So it was like the frog in the boiling water. You don't realize. And they were full of dust. You could The the front desk was full of paper. So when people are trying to set their next appointment, they can actually see the applications of other clients that were sitting Mm. on that desk. And some other things, too, is are the chairs comfortable? Then going into your conference room and actually sitting in your conference room. And what can you see and what can you hear? So a couple things when you're be your client for a day. Obviously, the furniture. We've talked about that. What can you see in here? Is your team professionally dressed? Is the confidential information of your client stored away so that people can't see it? And probably most important is most advisors are complete slobs in their office, meaning in their own physical office space. So when I go to see an advisor, typically the team will pull me aside and they'll be like, hey, listen, it really was such a mess yesterday. I took a picture so you could see what it really looks like. <laughs> So they're like telling on the advisor and, you know, we can't fight every battle. So I always say, listen, if the advisor's office is at the end and no one's ever going to see it and client files don't get lost in that office, I'm not going to sweat it. But if clients are meeting with the advisor in that office or files are getting lost in that office, then we need to fix that issue. So, oh, and then the other thing I was going to tell you about the client experience too, that advisor who had that office with the dusty wall pockets and the stacked up front desk. The reason I went up into the attic and I got that folder is his team didn't realize how far that office had come because it was a fairly new team. And by the time they walked in and started working with that advisor, everything looked great and it felt great and the deliverables were amazing. And I brought, and I got permission from him to show this to the team. His first appointment folder was a green Mead folder from like Walgreens. And the appointment confirmation was an inkjet label that was like cockeyed on the green mead folder they would hand write in. And then when you open the folder up, it was all these black and white inserts on really, you know, crappy paper. Mm -hmm. And it was fun for the team to see that because the team had no idea that just a few years prior, that's where they had started from and the growth that that advisor had made. And I think it's really relevant when we talk about client experience and, you know, laying everything out on a conference room table that touches your client in addition to being your client for a day. Because some advisors will say, listen, we don't compete against Edward Jones because, you know, we have, we're independent. The reality of it is, is that we do because it's a brand. They have a marketing campaign. We know, we think, that those people aren't going to take advantage of us. Our clients that we're working with, they don't really know us. We're not a national brand. So everything that your clients touch and feel from your first appointment folder to the chairs to the conference room... All of that builds into the trust equation, which is something that we are having constantly to overcome as independent advisors. Yeah, so much there. Thank you for sharing that. Um, <laughs> so you did, you did remind me, I love that you 
you went back. And I know this is another thing that you you recommend in your weekly team meetings is kind of a positive focus, starting the week with a positive focus. So I want you to go into that in a second. But what I think as going back to advisors, type A personalities, entrepreneurs, rarely do entrepreneurs take the time to slow down and reflect. And granted, I, I'm the same way. I'm wired. I'm always like, here's the next thing in front of me. Here, I did this. Okay, now it's on to the next thing. And I, I think sometimes a tip that advisors need to take is slow down for their team, not for them, for their team. Right. Look over their shoulder. Here's yeah. how far we've come. Yeah. And I, Dan Sullivan shared something that I, I love. He So there's this 10x mentality of, you know, I did a million dollars of revenue this year. What would the business have to look like to 10x that or do 10 million? Right. So that's looking forward. But another thing right. he does with his team is he says, now take the million, divide it by 10. And when yeah. our company revenue was at 100,000, what did yeah. that firm look like? Who was on the team? Yeah. And like that little, that little um, exercise of going back and looking at, wow, this is what our marketing material used to look like. Look, look how horrible this was. How did we yeah. close any clients or bring any clients on board? <laughs> so it, are there other practices you see just really good leadership skills to do things like that with their team and just really empower them and get them excited just along those lines? It's- it's rare to find, you know, I always tell the advisor, you have to stop and celebrate, like you're saying, for your team's sake. One of the a big mistakes that an advisor can make is they set their goal. So we're going to do, you know, 20 million or 40 million. And they start out the year really strong and we're halfway through the year right now. And they're like, oh, no, 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 that wasn't really the goal. We're going to do 60 million. And you can't do that. You certainly can do that. It's your business. You can do whatever you want. But then that becomes the stretch goal and not the baseline goal. This can't be a moving target because our brains are wired, always forward thinking, always growth. And your employees don't think that way. And so they want to know, are we winning and are we on the right track? One of the best stories, and I think I actually heard it when I went to a strategic coach training years and years ago, is there were two women and they were on a hiking trip together. And one of them ended up getting very, very sick. So there were two guides. The one guy took the healthy woman and continued on. And the sick lady stayed back with her guide. And they were trudging along. And she goes, oh, my God, I can't believe we have this much further to go. And he physically grabbed her. And he turned her around. And he said, but look at how far you've come. And so I think that, and that's where, back to what we talked about earlier with having the leadership mentality, to have someone on your team who can grab you and turn you around and say, we can always look at the gap. We can always look at the things that still need to be done that we haven't accomplished yet. But a good leader, someone who's working alongside the advisor can kind of help pull the advisor out of that. So some of the things that we're seeing recently are setting up, you know, quarterly team building days, and they can be super cheap and super easy, and they don't even have to be a whole day. But to check in, hey, where are we at for our goals and the metrics for the business overall? And then doing things like the escape room or yes. going bowling. Yeah, so I was just thinking we did that with my team. See, awesome. People love the escape yeah. room. I did it with my nieces and I got stuck in a room with people I didn't like. So I was like, no, if I do it next time, I'm doing it just with people. <laughs> so <laughs> they I, weren't employed or anything. So but. I have to tell a funny story because um, so Braun and I, my eight-year-old, were just uh, in Kansas City for a baseball tournament and the second day got mm-hmm. rained out. So we had a full day, just him and I. And I was like, oh, there's an escape room. And I'm just a big kid. I love all this yep. stuff. Yeah, me too. And I'm like, oh, there's an escape room down the road. So we show up and um, the way this one was set up is they've got 
two concepts, but each of the concepts, they have two rooms. So you can actually race someone, right? So you can have two in the same rooms, like competing against each other. Yeah. And so anyway, this one could hold eight or something. And so they threw us in with this group of like retirees. They were celebrating like a 60th birthday or something. And like the lady kind of makes a big deal that set it up. She's like, oh no, this is just our group. We don't want this guy and his kid. Right. And and the the guy that's running it is like, well, you know, normally we recommend at least groups of four or whatever. So Braun and I go in the other room and I'm like, we're going to beat them. And so we, uh, we, you know, we challenge accepted. So you, you know, you kind of figure out some of the strategy along the way. Yeah. And we get out and we bust out like right at the 60 minutes and they're still in there for another five minutes. And then Braun's like, let's give them high fives when they walk out. And so. It was sorry, complete like. Oh, I love that. Of, but that's speaking like, of squirrels, I'm I'm like going off, yes. off track here. But it was those things are so fun. Nope, give us a challenge, and the challenge will be accepted. If there's any yeah. competition, it's on. It's yeah, on. So, so positive are, focus. Yes, yes. So let's maybe. so let's transition to um. Well, once again, just the, the going back to leading a team. It's all about rhythms and accountability, and yeah. it's surprising how many offices don't have. The weekly team meeting so everybody's on the same page. So I know you've done a great job of kind of putting some of those best practices in for a lot of our offices. What like if you could say, here are my best performing offices, here's what that weekly rhythm of a team meeting looks like, and here's kind of the key things they hit on inside of that. Can you dig in on that a little yeah. bit? So I don't think there's any successful office that I work with or have worked with that is not doing a weekly team meeting. So I do think it's that important because the reality of it is, is what gets measured gets done. And the weekly team meeting is all of the data and the performance for all the key areas in the business. And the advisor, so there's some rules when you do my weekly team meeting. One of the main rules is, is that the advisor is not running the meeting because it's the squirrel in the escape room and down the rabbit hole we go. So someone else on the team needs to make sure that they're, they're running the meeting. We call it the mayor of the meeting. So we're starting on time stopping on time. More importantly, we're staying on track. So some of the things that are really important that we look for in the weekly team meeting. So each team member is presenting their department or their data. They're creating their tool. They're doing their reporting. It gets engagement instead of just sitting there and death by meeting. So you start positive focus, five minutes and go around the table. One thing positive that happened last week, it gets the cobwebs out of everyone's head, gets everybody a little bit engaged. It allows the advisor to stay connected with the team because the advisors do care about their team. They just have a hard time making that connection when there's so many other pressures in the office. I'll never forget, I was at an office and we did a positive focus. And so one team member goes, well, my husband got a job. And the advisor goes, oh, I didn't know he was changing jobs. She goes, yeah, he got laid off two years ago. But those are the things that impact performance of an employee that we... I had another office, total sidebar, my turn to have a squirrel now. Go for it. the advisor, and it was a top, still is a very high-level producer, had a key, key employee and ran all of the new business and service. And for some reason, their performance just went off the cliff. And the advisor said, I think I'm going to have to fire him. I just, you know, I've never seen it like this before. I don't know. And I said, okay, well, let me at least talk to him to find out what's going on. I talked to that team member and we found out that his mom was in hospice and was not going to make it past 30 days. But because of the speed in which everyone moves and not, you know, we don't want you to, we don't want the employees to burden the advisors, but there's certain key life changes 
Mm-hmm. Where they feel comfortable, we can support them and put support around them from a work perspective to at least take that pressure off of them. So the positive focus just helps build that bond. One of the other things that's really fun with the positive focus, and I tell this to all the offices, is listen, if you have an employee or you have a new employee and we do positive focus and that person says week after week, I, I don't have anything positive to add, that person will not make it in this industry. Because this is a really hard industry. And if you cannot find one positive thing that happened either in your life <laughs> or at work, your glass is half empty and the advisors just do not thrive with that personality. So, so far, I'm batting 100 on that one, that the employees who can't come up with a positive thing are not long-term employees. So most offices either love or hate the positive focus. You know, Either it takes a half hour, which is way too long, or no one likes to do it. So we try to really limit that. The mayor makes sure we're five minutes or less on that. From there in your weekly team meeting, you should be looking at where are we at for production versus where are we supposed to be? So what is the benchmark? We find it's very rare these days, but I still have some offices where the team's like, we don't have goals. We don't know what the goal is. So, and because this year has seemed to be, May was a crazy month for most offices. And the team, I think, can get behind that if they know, wow, we are kicking tail right now, where instead of it just being grinding it out and just gets more and more work, if they say, oh, wow, no wonder I'm so tired because look at what we did last month from a production standpoint. And again, it allows everyone to pause and celebrate when we're benchmarking where are we at versus where are we supposed to be. Then from there, you should hop into your marketing stats. So I want to know from a marketing perspective, how many first appointments were set last week? What marketing did we do? What did it generate? Then looking forward in the marketing, what's coming up in the next 30 days? And the reason I want that in the team meeting, and remember, this is just high-level data sharing. This is not to go deep into marketing. It's just a high-level marketing stat. Some people think that our new business and service teams don't have an impact on referrals or first appointments. And I believe that that is very incorrect. Because if we're talking to someone who's in pending business right now, who's an A-plus client, and we have a client event coming up, to be personally invited by that new business person has a significant impact. So the other thing, if you're doing an e-newsletter or a newsletter, you probably should read it if you're the advisor because most of them are not reading it. And then the clients come in and talk about it and the advisor doesn't have any idea what was in that e-newsletter or the newsletter. So going over, okay, here's what's happening in the next 30 days in marketing allows everyone to be aware of, okay, here's what we have going on so that the operations team is aware and they can start to build momentum with the people they're talking to as well from a servicing or new business perspective. From there, I like to go into what I call calendar reviews. So this is going over the calendar from last week. And there's a couple different ways you can slice and dice this. If you're a smaller office, it's a lot easier. If you have selling sub-advisors, then I want the stats for every advisor because I want to see how many first, second, thirds, who closed what business. So when you have a sales team, they're very competitive. And when we stack in numbers side by side by side, there's no hiding if you're an associate producer. So some associate advisors can be really slippery, where if they have that accountability in front of the team each week, there's no hiding from it. But from a bare minimum, looking at your calendar, what happened last week, I was actually on site, a great office, and we were going through a mock meeting. I said, okay, pull up your calendar. Let me see what happened last week. She goes, oh, that guy had a million dollars. What happened to him? So we literally get up and go find the file, and someone had accidentally filed the file away. And so that guy would have just vanished into thin air or the famous advisor approach, which is six months later, they wake up at 2 a.m. and say, whatever happened to Joe Smith? 
And then they come in and they find the file and then someone gets in trouble, so on and so forth. So reviewing your calendar from last week is really important to make sure we're where we were supposed to be. We should have ideal number of first appointments that were set and kept. Did we hit that metric? Did we not? Looking at the calendar for the coming week. So if you are an advisor or you work for an advisor that has last-minute case prep, that's one of the key items that we want to fix. So we don't want the advisor... Five minutes before the person's walking in the door, hey, have you seen a file on Jones? Does anyone know where that file's at? <laughs> and it creates all this uproar in the office. I had one advisor who said, well, you know, I fixed that because I told my team if they can find the missing file, I'll give them 50 bucks. And I'm like, well, all you did was create a problem because they're hiding the files yeah. now yeah. <laughs> to get the 50 bucks. <laughs> yeah. So sure it's that's not a working. sustainable model right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe we need to rethink that one. So reviewing your calendar for the current week to make sure by the end of Monday, we are prepped and ready for everybody that's coming in. So all the case design, the illustrations have so, been reviewed. So let's, let's, um, let's paint a picture there a little bit because I want to make sure I'm hearing you right. So most of our offices, tell me if I'm off base here, stack appointments Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, middle of yep. the week, then your Monday morning. And I believe your recommendation is as soon as possible, Monday morning is this weekly staff meeting. Yep. And then following that, maybe their para planner brings in, hey, here's the upcoming cases for the week, reviews that with whatever advisors, one advisor, right. or multiple advisors, where yep. they're kind of the final editor of the final case prep. So now here's my stack of 10 appointments for this week. And it's kind of like a doctor's office grabbing the clipboard yep. off the front of the desk walking in. Yep, is that what exactly. you recommend? Is there other other different models you've seen that work there? So the only thing that you missed there was typically we say 9 to 10 is your team meeting because the later in the day it goes, the higher probability that it's going to cancel because everything starts on fire. So yep. 9 a.m. is your team meeting. 10 a.m. is your marketing meeting. Some offices need a weekly marketing meeting. Some offices need it every other week. So that's really going deep into the marketing and talking what we call the shiny ideas and letting the advisor kind of bounce off the wall a little bit with the marketing team. If you're doing a marketing meeting, I always say your marketing coordinator or your marketing director should say, okay, here's our top three initiatives for this meeting. And then from there, we can let the advisor kind of go crazy. So 9 to 10 is team. 10 to 11 is marketing. If you need it, 11 to 12 can be open door policy. So if anyone on the team has anything you need to talk about one-on-one with the advisor, the time's there. But otherwise, the advisor can go directly into case prep, like you said. So someone brings in all the files. It does not happen in the advisor's office because if that's the case, the advisor's checking email, watching webinars, and not prepping. So the advisors don't like this model in the beginning. But once we get them into the case prep consistently in a time block, they say to me, I don't know how I ran my business without this. Because what's always ironic to me is that the advisors hate case prep and case design. It is absolutely 100% where you make your money in this industry. So why do we treat that activity like it is a red? You can generate all the leads in the world and you can have the best tick ratio up to the first appointment. If you're in there doing the song, song and dance because you're not ready to close and you're not telling people what to do, what a waste of time and energy and money. So advisors don't like it, but I'm telling you, it's a game changer because the closing ratio goes up because they're clear and concise. They know exactly what they're doing when they walk in that meeting. Then on top of it, when we go to app, we don't have outdated forms or missing information because new business had time to get everything pulled together and get ready for those meetings for the coming week. So it does really just help streamline. So yeah, then they stay in case prep until they're done on Monday from a time blocking perspective. So whole nother aside, but if anyone's listening in and has not built out their process, their proprietary, their client deliverable. Yes. 
you know, yes. that's that's a whole nother conversation, right? Yes. But one of the office that went scaled from eight million to two hundred million, one of the key factors there is they have a proprietary process, five steps built on the CFP standard. For lack of a better term, the movie The Founder is one of my favorite analogies. So the story of McDonald's. The first two franchises failed that McDonald's tried if you go watch the movie. But once they started making sure the hamburger was made the same way in every single franchise location, yeah, McDonald's took over the fast food industry. No different in financial services. Your associate advisors need to make the hamburger the same way. Yes, please. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Because everyone says, no, they're just going to shadow me and then they can make it their own. No, because they're working for you because they couldn't do it on their own. Yeah. And an associate advisor is one of the most expensive things you have on your team because it's gone up. It used to be about $800 to get someone to walk in the front door to practice. Lately, I'm hearing people have done the math and it's $2,000. So if, you, if you're spending $2,000 to get someone in the door and then they're letting them just go in there and do the Wild West, it can become very expensive. And one of my favorite sayings is, listen, you cannot manage people because we are emotional. The only thing you can manage is process. When you have a process, we manage the process. So when something doesn't work, did we not follow the process? Was the process not written the right way? Is there something missing? Was it you know not updated? So when you have a sales team and they're falling down, so if you have data, which is important, we can say, oh, this advisor isn't closing after the second appointment. Something's wrong in the second. It's very easy to train them if you're all running on the same conveyor belt. Because we know exactly how to get them. Otherwise, you have to start from ground zero. What are you doing? What's your call to action? Okay. What are the wedge questions? And it's just a big waste of time and energy. What, so. What ha- so here's here's what happens on my side, Gina, is they say, what process? <laughs> right. So, right. So, yes. But here, this is a fun story. And this is a good example of a top performing office, what sets them apart. So going back to the process and their sales process, what I've found on my side is even very high-performing advisors, oftentimes their own individual process, we're not even getting into associates or sub-advisors yet, their own individual process is different every time. So this time I I brought them on on the first appointment. Next time I brought them on on the second. Oh, this one took three or four or five. And so it's all over the place. Well, so this office that we've now referenced multiple times on the East Coast that went from eight to 200 million... (laughs) So they did They did an actual, what we call the journey. So we do that twice a year for those that aren't familiar. And we have some of our top performing offices up on stage and they basically share like, open up their entire practice. Here's how we market. Here's what our sales process looks like. Well, anyway, so Keith is one of the guys on the team over there and he'd been on a family vacation. He hadn't run an appointment for a, a couple of weeks. And he came back and he got a referral, which is for their office is like a 99% they're coming on yeah. board as a client. And he's like, he called me and he's like, man, I swung and missed. And just like, I got in there and like, there was this million and a half prospect that any other time they would have come on board and I did, they didn't come on board. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? He literally went back and watched his own journey videos of him training on stage on his own process, just so he could get back in the flow of here's how I run an appointment. Yes. But, but what I love bored. about that is the humbleness that, hey, I don't have this yeah. all figured out. I need coaching yeah. just like everybody else. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that was one of the things also in that office. They've done that with all their associate advisors. What they figured out was they had the tracking, they had the accountability. Yeah. But what they had to start doing was a weekly coaching with the whole team on the sales process because all of us, I think it's part of being an advisor and being a type A, like mm-hmm. squirrel, like, you know, shiny object mm-hmm. syndrome. 
things are working so well. We're like, ah, oh, this is boring. I just keep closing. You know, I've got a 70% closing ratio because I do it the same every time, but it's yeah. boring. So I'm going to try something else. And then we completely blow up a model that works. Do you see that happen? All the time. Yeah. All the time. All the time. We have one office, I mean, probably the most systematized office that I have seen. And we had a, like a personality profile that we used to use. We still use it now. Um, but it actually showed learning speed. And it doesn't mean intelligent, smart, or stupid. It just means the time that it takes you to grab onto something. What we found is that the people who are really quick learners are the ones who get bored and deconstruct things and want to reinvent the wheel over our buddy in Austin. I mean, that's what he does over and over and over. Well, this office, and it was the most systematized office, every single person, including the advisor, was a really slow learner. So they would build the process. And they would just work that process day in, day out, and they would never get bored with it. And there's so much value in that in this industry of not getting distracted. Or they come to a journey and they're like, oh, that was a great idea. And they're going to come back and fix a bunch of stuff that isn't broken in their office. Yeah. So if you're going to modify your sales process, you have to be very clear about why you're modifying it and what piece. Because if you modify it all at the same time, we can't tell you what worked and what didn't work and why your closing ratio is all over the place. So I think it's being very clear about why you're changing your sales process and what piece it is so we can track that data. So while you're throwing tips out there, because as far as this podcast, there will be obviously a lot of advisors, Excel advisors listen to this, but also a lot of, a lot of non-advisors, right. Excel advisors. What are, what are tips? I'm an advisor. I just went to this amazing conference. I came back with pages or a notebook full of notes. Oh, yeah. What's the best way to distill that to your team where you don't drive them insane and completely derail your practice? So what, and we use this in elite team training, and I think they even use it at the journey events now. So we have this form, and it has three columns. Do you know which form I'm talking about? Yeah. Where it has like 25, then 10, and then your top five ideas. Because what we say is that if you come back from any conference, come back with three things and nothing more than three. What are the top three things we're going to focus on? It doesn't mean those other ideas are dead. I think you can give them to your team and we can schedule a discussion date three months, six months down the road on those. But in order for things to get done and get done well and all the way through, we have to hyper-focus on those. So it's not huge things either. You can't come back and say, we're going to rebrand and do PR because that's hard to measure. So what does rebranding mean? What are the things we're going to do to rebrand? And then the second thing would be, what are we going to do from a PR perspective? What is success and what isn't success? You know, it's like Cody Foster said, how do you eat the elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. That's just the reality of it. So many of us try to like shove the elephant <laughs> and swallow it and we end up choking and it just doesn't work. And then your team, when you come back from these conferences, they're sitting in their office like, oh God, don't talk to me. Don't touch me because they're terrified of what you're going to drop on their desk. Right. Yeah, I've been guilty of that a few times myself. So um, just a few, probably. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> as we transition into the more philosophical questions here, oh. I want to I want to close with: Is there any advisor or office story that we haven't told or haven't gotten into that you're like this? This is a good one that should mm. come out before we move to the questions, or maybe your maybe your favorite success story. If you want to close with that, just just something that was super meaningful to you that, wow, I saw the transformation in this office and it just made me really proud of what I do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it was the one that I had, that office I had spoke about earlier that was really good with their time and very dedicated and very humble and very, very coachable. It was really fun to work with them 
because there wasn't a lot of the ADD or the bouncing off the walls or trying to, you know, get recentered for the first 15 minutes of every call. We were very methodical. Here's the three things we're going to focus on. Here's the things that we still have to accomplish in the future. Because ultimately, what I do and the reason I continue to do it, it's great to be involved in people's success, but I change their lives. And so when I have spouses come up to me at events and say, thanks for giving me my spouse back so that they can show up at the kids' games. We had a husband and wife, and we had we were all out to dinner. It was at World Series of Sales or Journey. This was years ago. And the wives were all talking, and the husbands were all talking. And this wife looked at me, and she goes, and this advisor was a workaholic, a complete workaholic. And she goes, I just really want to take the kids to Disneyland. And I said, okay, so you're going to call the marketing person in their office, and you're going to say, I'm going to block this week. They are not going to have appointments. And we're going to go to Disney World. And there's no negotiation with the advisor. The marketing person knows that we have a marketing event. If it's not possible, they're going to help you pick the, pick the week. And that was, I mean, I don't even think their third baby was born at that point. It has become an annual thing for that family that they go to Disney World now because I finally gave her the courage to just go do it. Your spouse and your family is part of this whole deal as well. I had one advisor. I talked to him yesterday or the day before. And he's been with us for about a year, and we doubled his production, so we took him from 10 to 20 in his first year, and the wheels in the wagon are shaking pretty dang hard at this point. And he has, I think the child at home is probably 10 or 11, and the advisor said, you know what's waking me up at 2 o'clock in the morning is I'm going to Yellowstone with my child and my wife, and I have all these appointments coming in. He has another advisor in the office, and I don't know if I'm going to make it to Yellowstone. And then he said, you're making it to Yellowstone. Because I don't care if you lose a million-dollar sale. You're never getting that time back with your child. You're just not. And the generation that we work with, too, the retirees, if you say, listen, my 10-year-old's been planning this trip to Yellowstone for three years. I have to do this. Those those people understand that it's when the advisor tries to be shady or cynic or just Mm -hmm. be honest and tell the truth. But I think Steve Holland said it it best. You know, your kids are just visitors passing through. And I think Mm -hmm. so many of our young advisors lose sight of the importance of family and how quick it's gone before the kids grow up and get out of the house. So that's been something interesting. And the guys in the East Coast that we've been talking about, that was one of the things too, is I don't want to do evening appointments. And I said, then stop doing evening appointments. That's all there is to it. So I think when you can impact the, not just the business, but this business impacts all the other areas in the life. I think it's just so cool to see that transformation happen. That is like the coolest part of this job. Yep. And that, yeah. So, so a couple thoughts there. First off, we all tell you this, but I just want to tell you, you're awesome. <laughs> because, Thanks, Brad. because I have, <laughs> I have just seen, I've seen exactly that from, you know, I, I'm coaching on my side. You're doing a lot of coaching yeah. on your side, but I've just, yeah. I've seen not just, I mean, hey, it's great. There's more money in the bank account, but the stuff that really matters is those moments and those memories with kids that you're never going to get back. Nope. If, and I've, I feel very fortunate because, at the age of 27, I was working with 55, 60, 65 year olds that when we had our first child, they're like, this time goes by so fast. Don't take it for granted. Be present, be at the games, be home for dinner, just all of that. Right. And so I've had it wired in, like we call it putting the big rocks on our family calendar. Right. So the trips come first and then everything else fits around that. But like going back to that, the advisor that had the Yellowstone trip, I think advisors, they're just, you're in it and it's hard to see it when you're in it. But going back to you just sharing, like, be transparent, be real with your clients. Like, 
you've got the best excuse in the world if you've got a family at home. Hey, my rule is I don't see appointments after five. I've dedicated that time to my family because that's really important Important that I'm a great husband and a great dad. And guess what? Period. If your client pushes back yeah. at that, you don't want them anyway. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's not an ideal client. Yes. Yeah. But, but even like the Yellowstone, you... like if you, if you um, with that advisor, imagine yeah. if you like built it up and did an out of office and said, hey, I'm going to have to move these appointments yeah. this week because this is a trip and we're going to send some pictures along the way. I mean, you could make that actually something that Market. his clients admired him more after yeah. the trip. So. It impacts referability because I've said this over and over again. No one is ever going to go out and tell their friends, hey, I just bought the best annuity. Hey, I just got the best investment model. Yeah. If you can make yourself a human and give them a reason to talk about you. So if you are going to Yellowstone and you are sharing those pictures in your newsletter or on your social media that your clients can see, it gives them a reason to talk about you and it makes you a real person. And it does show that you're rooted in the community and you're rooted in your family, which helps with that national brands that we're competing against all the time as well. Yeah. I, we have offices that actually use that to their advantage. Hey, we're very small. We're boutique. We're a family practice, high-end wealth management. And who doesn't want to be part of a small boutique family-owned practice, right? Um, One other thing, just because you brought it up, you mentioned it, but just to drive it home, the number one thing you recommend throwing it in a newsletter to make sure it gets read. Gossip. So, it's always the gossip. I always tell people, listen, they've most of the time when you're sending a newsletter, they've already met with you. They know you. They know what you do from an advice perspective. They want to know who you are as a person. So we say an advisor has two sides. You have your competency side and your character side. We're all very good showing that we're competent. We're good at showing income. We're good at minimizing taxes. We're good at addressing risk, but they don't know you as an individual. And so I think it's important that you really, and again, that advisor who's really good at client experience is very good. So throughout his sales cycle, as they go deeper into the sales cycle, the marketing touch in between each appointment would become more and more personalized. So when you're doing a newsletter or you're doing an e-newsletter, that gossip is what they read. We've actually had offices where the newsletter went out late and the people are calling and especially the widowed men because they don't have a big social connection. They're calling and saying, hey, I didn't get that. I want to see what's going on. Can you make sure I get a copy of it? And we had one advisor, four kids. And so we started this gossip column in the newsletter. And he would write about his four kids. I said, you have plenty of material to write about. People love reading about kids and they love reading about dogs. So if you have one or both of those things, you're covered. So he would write about his kids all the time. So his high school daughter came to a client appreciation event and all 200 people knew everything about her. They knew about her cheerleading, what she was into, her prom picture, and she said it was the freakiest experience she ever had. <laughs> awesome for clients, not so good for your kids. <laughs> exactly. The, the 18-year-old was like, who are these people? Why do they know? But that does, again, give them a reason to talk about it. It does make you human. And it makes your client events not so awkward because if they don't know you as a person, hey, what do you think about the stock market? No one wants to talk about that. So if they know you, yeah, it makes it sure. easier for conversation. Okay, you ready to knock out a couple philosophical questions? I guess so, Brad, man. Let's get to it. Let's do it. I want to hear. This one will be fun. If you could go back and give your 20-year-old self some advice, what would it be? Don't be afraid. Just go. I think all of us have so much self-doubt or what are people going to think? Or I know when I started the business, I was... And I did it. So I can normally push through fear. But I just think if people were not afraid and would just go do it, 
what you can experience is so far greater than what you're going to experience having fear in your life. Yeah, spot on. I mean, from my side, it's awesome to see. Because even when you started, where you started to your knowledge base now and where you've grown to, it's just, it's amazing. It's because, I mean, if you wouldn't have thrown yourself into those offices, maybe even before you were ready, you're not acquiring that knowledge that you have today. Yep. Yep, so exactly. Getting uncomfortable. Yeah, I was afraid of public speaking. My first speaking engagement, that operational excellence, I will never be able to wear those suits again because I had literally lost 15 pounds before I was up at two o'clock in the morning. I was in panic mode for six months, but you just got to push through it. I'll never forget one advisor looked at me. If you can speak well and you can speak publicly, you will make more money than you know what to do with because people are afraid. And if you can get over that, then you got it. And so I had a speech coach. I did the Toastmasters. And so you just find the resources to get your your butt up there. Make it happen. Yeah. Just have somebody push you out on stage for the first one, right? Yeah. Cody was really good at that. Hey, can you get up there and talk about this? <laughs> well, we were, that was the early days of Advisors Excel. We're just like, hey, she's really good. And then the next thing you know, you're on stage the next week. There was not really any prep time. It was right. Yeah. He would do it to me the same day. Hey, can you go up there later this afternoon? I'm like, oh, God. But you do it. <laughs> okay, so this is this is a fun one. Let me make sure I ask this right. What would you like to be considered absurd 25 years from now? Or another way to put that, you're looking back 25 years from now and you're like, I can't believe they used to do that. Oh, that's a loaded question. Doesn't have to be business related, can be anything. So something that I'm going to look back on and say, wow, that's really absurd. 25 years from now, people used to do this. Vaping? <laughs> I don't vape. I don't vape. I'm just saying, 25 years from now, we're going to be like, what's that? No, I think for me, looking back, you know, my passion, my, I love, I love, love what I do. And I love working with financial advisors. But an equal love in my life is riding my bike. I love to ride my bike. And so sometimes I find myself in this conflict of, work versus biking and how do you fit it all in and i think it's just making time for the things that you love you know it was funny end of 2017 we were home and there was a wonderful couple staying with us for a couple weeks but personally i just didn't connect with them and so i made the decision at the end of 2017 i'm no longer spending time or investing in people that i don't want to i'm only going to invest my time which is very limited in people that I choose to, people that are going to challenge me, people that are going to make me better and just draw on the line. And you get a whole lot more time when that happens. Mm-hmm. Instead of being polite, stop saying, yes, you can come stay at our house for two weeks. No, you can't. Sorry. Go get a hotel. <laughs> because that, we've had people at our house nonstop for a year or so. That's what I love about you though. Is And I think that's what a lot of advisors truly love about you is you're not the type of person that tells people what they want to hear. I mean... No. A good a good coach gives direct, real feedback. And what's cool is to hear that you t- took that to your own life too. And just like, hey, there's there's one hour people, there's one day people, there's yep. one people. And if you're not a one week person, sorry, you're not hanging at my house. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Choose your time. Both business so, so and personal. I want to make sure I got your answer there. So 25 years from now, what would be absurd is hanging out with people that don't bring value to my life? Is that yep. where you're going with that? Yep. Cool. And not making more time to get on my bike. Because honestly, doing that stuff, whatever feeds your soul, feeds your business, right? So if every time I get out, and like I'm biking across Missouri in a week. So I'll come back from that totally charged up, ready to get back into it. And a lot of business owners, you know, we get caught in 
the business becomes your life. And it has to be when you're starting out. But at this point, almost all of us are so, you know, we're at a point where we can start to determine I'm going to spend my time equally on what feeds my soul, which ultimately feeds my business. So, yeah. Yeah. Are being you, absurd uh, is. Are you rolling through Topeka on that bike ride? Are you just rolling no. up to the uh, elite training on the on your bike? Or <laughs> just rolling on in. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it is Missouri. It's Route 66. No Topeka. Cool. Last year, I did elite team training, and then I left for that same bike trip the day after. Awesome. Well, good yep. luck on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Two more questions, and then I will let you get on to your Friday. When you hear the word success, who's the first person you think of and why? I shouldn't say this because it's going to be a total ego boost. I shouldn't say it. But when you ask me just immediately off the cuff, it's Joel Johnson. Just because I think he has been so disciplined in the way he's built his business. It hasn't been easy. He's had some ups and some downs in it. He's a lot like me where he's very black and white about things. Like, no, this isn't working. The data doesn't lie. We're making a decision. We're going a different direction. He's very decisive. And he's very invested in developing himself from a business CEO perspective and not just as a financial advisor. So that's my first initial response to that, which we just made his head a little bit bigger now, but what are you going to do? Hey, and I think he <laughs> listens to this podcast. So, I, you, know, he does. you know, here's what's cool about Joel. So I was just in Dallas and what's cool about him. He's a growth mindset guy. He came to us as I'm, I'm a great producer, but I'd say just above average and fast forward today. I think he's on pace north of 300 million, his firm. And but what's cool is he's also running a mastermind of our other top advisors where he, where he's pouring into them, and so it's just this abundance mindset where everybody's getting better. Yeah. So it's very cool to see the growth that he's had since he's been here, and how he's now impacting other offices by by opening up and sharing too. So, yeah, yeah I mean, he's a he's a good example of a, of what you said before. An advisor's excel advisor. They're they're humble enough to take coaching, right? Yep. And then they do the work to basically put the the ideas into yep. practice. So yep. got to implement, okay. guys. Yep. <laughs> Did you have anything else to share there? I mean, there I felt like there was more behind the guy. No, no, no. That's it because that's really it. Like you have to implement. Period. End of story. Implement something. <laughs> Don't talk or, about it. <laughs> and have somebody on your team, the implementer, right? Yes. Have somebody yes. riding shotgun. So when yes. you come up with the cool idea, they actually put it into yes. action. Yes. And you give them time to put it into action before you give them your next new idea and the next and the next and the next. Okay. What is the one piece of advice that you can share with the audience that's led to your success to this point? Uh, Work ethic has been the key to my success. I was raised by a single mom, four kids. So when my parents divorced, she had a three, five, seven, and nine-year-old. We lived in Chicago. We had no heat in our house. It was one of the coldest winters on record in Chicago when that happened. Uh, she had no college education, so we moved to college with her. Well, she got her bachelor's degree, and by the time I was 22, she had two masters. So as a kid growing up, she did social work in the inner city of Chicago in a car that had no air conditioning. She was going into the project to do social work. On Wednesday nights, she worked at the women's abuse shelter, and on the weekends, she worked at a home that helped uh, handicapped people. And so you got to work. you got to show up. You got to work. Like Rory Vaden says, success is rented and the rent is due every single day. You got to put in the work. It doesn't just happen. And you got to keep showing up day after day after day. And you have to do something you love because if you don't love it, that becomes a really tall order to fulfill on a daily basis. Yeah. I have to meet your mom. She sounds amazing. 
My mom is about five feet tall, no hair, or she has hair, just not a lot of it. Short, <laughs> short hair, no makeup, <laughs> and very introverted. So complete polar opposite. But she is just this little mighty badass. Got all four kids. Successful. Has she ever seen you? Has she ever seen you speak or coach? No, no. My family's still like, "What do you do again?" <laughs> Mine too. Mine too. Cool. They know that I'm paying for college for the nieces and the nephews, so they know that much. They know that part is working, but no, none of my family has ever seen. Huh. Well, maybe that maybe that's on the bucket list because I bet she would be very proud to see the work you do. Because, and I don't just say this because you're on the podcast. I say this because it's the truth. You have been instrumental. Um, one of the biggest driving forces behind a ton of our... I mean, you you go down our top 100 client list, mm-hmm. your fingerprints are on just about every single one of those practices. Mm-hmm. So, Gina, I appreciate honor. it. Thank you. You're awesome. This conversation was long overdue. So... Yeah. It was like, always fun to be here. Thanks for having me. If you're an advisor that I've worked with or an advisor that I'm going to work with. Thank you. Because... In order for me to have success working with these advisors, you know, we kind of all have to get naked. You know, I, you have to show me the dirty laundry and show me where we've fallen down. And I've been in top offices where the advisor literally is on the verge of tears to be, and that's a hard place to be. So, yes, I do great work, but I always say I can give you all the great ideas, but if you don't make the right decision and you don't implement, none of it matters. So that's why it's such an honor to be with Advisors Excel because that is the culture and the mentality of all of us. We show up and we get the work done. And then we have a little fun once the work's done, right? Oh, we sure do. We <laughs> sure do. Well, all right. Thank you so Thank much. You have an awesome Friday. And until all next right. time, we'll see you. All right. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Thanks for checking out the latest show. And as a reminder, make sure to tune in for the next episode for a special surprise announcement that many of you all have reached out, you've been asking for. I'm not going to spoil the surprise, but it's going to be big if you're a financial advisor that's curious about podcasting and how to use the medium to drive more business to your firm. So stay tuned. Now on to this week's featured reviews. This week's first review comes to us from user DTrain150 who says, Awesome. 5 stars. I have listened for a little over a year now and I can honestly say that I actually look forward to a long car ride or even a workout when a new episode comes out so I can learn new ideas to apply in my practice. Brad brings a ton of knowledge to financial advisors trying to grow their business and better serve their clients and the guest lineup is unreal. Always new ideas that I have applied to my own business which has continued to lead to more growth within our firm. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for the kind words and the review. I'm loving that the show's helping you pass some windshield time. And I've got to say with a username like DTrain150, I can only assume when you say workout that you've definitely listened in while doing some curls, maybe some tricep extensions, maybe a little bit of bench press mixed in. So I'm going to continue to keep the great guests coming and do my best to keep sending business building ideas your way. The next review comes to us from user AZ Cardinals are for real, who says, Amazing podcast for financial advisors serious about growing their business. Five stars. First off, the quality and diversity of the guests is insane. Brad doesn't just have guests within financial services. He brings outside voices, which is so needed in the industry. Plus, Brad is just a great interviewer and host. Lastly, the content isn't just for entertainment. Episodes are packed with actionable content and strategies that could dramatically scale your practice. Thanks for the stellar review, Mr. AZ Cardinals. The eclectic mix of guests 
from not just within our industry, but from many others is really what keeps the show fun for me as well. So I'm glad you're loving that. As long as they have ideas or concepts that can apply to financial services, everyone is fair game. So with that in mind, if any of you all have some guest suggestions, hit me up out on Twitter. Let me know. My username is at Brad underscore Johnson. Give me a shout out there and love to keep the guests coming. Next up is user SM631 who says, Fantastic podcast, 5 stars. I'm an assistant to a successful financial advisor and will be getting my Series 7 later this year. This podcast is amazing with great insight into what kind of FA I want to become. Thank you for sharing your talent. Thanks for listening in, SM631, and for the 5-star review. I love that the show has helped you along your journey to becoming an advisor. And I hope the studying is going well for the Series 7 or even better that you've officially passed by the time you hear this. The best tip I can share with you once you make the official transition is the number one and only marketing metric you should track on a weekly basis is first appointments. So when starting out, that's super critical. And it's literally the difference between success and failure in this business, especially when you're just getting started. So good luck on your new career path. And thanks for listening. And the last featured review for the week comes to us from 84BB Champs, who says, Awesome content, five stars. Brad, keep on delivering the best content out there. One of my go to podcasts on how to be my very best daily. Thanks for the review, 84BB Champs. These type of comments really do keep me motivated to keep cranking out episodes for you all. And it's been incredible to connect with more and more of you who continue to apply for the one-on-one coaching sessions through the website. So thanks for reaching out and connecting those of you that have. Also, I I appreciate making the show one of your go-tos. And I love your focus on getting better every day. So as we wrap the show, thanks again for those of you who have taken the time to write a quick review. I love reading each and every one. And for those of you that have interest in diving deeper or figuring out how you may be able to have our team help you implement many of the ideas shared on the show, my day job does happen to be consulting financial advisors from all over the US on how to grow their business and design a practice that serves them versus them serving it. And it is possible to grow your business and work less. It's a model we've replicated over and over in markets all over the country. So if you'd like to apply to see if it makes sense for us to have a one-on-one conversation on how to overcome what may be getting in your way, you can do that at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply, A-P-P-L-Y. takes about 5 minutes to fill out the application so we can understand what your business looks like, what challenges you may be facing, and how myself and my team may be able to help. Taking the first step, is as simple as applying at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply. So that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. And I will catch you all on the next show. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint. For access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from our show's guests, visit bradleyjohnson.com. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners. It really does help. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation.